bring greetings to you this morning in the name of Jesus, the one that we've been um, focusing on in the Sunday School lesson. One of the thoughts that stood out to me was, and maybe I looked at it, look at it from a different perspective than anyone else this morning, feed my sheep. Uh, can we do that? Can we feed God's sheep? Not in our own strength, only by the living word of God, the bread of life, and by the help of his spirit, I think, can we successfully feed the Lord's sheep. And then, thinking of the verse that Arnie mentioned there, the concluding verse of the Sunday school lesson, you know, if God, if Jesus did all that he did, why does he need mankind yet today? Uh, God's plan, God's purpose to use the church, to use his disciples in spreading the gospel, in feeding his sheep. It certainly isn't that God is limited, but yet God has chosen, God has planned that he could use us as his followers. So it's not me this morning, it's God, it's his spirit, it's his word, and I trust that you will be fed spiritually for being here this morning. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges again, one concluding lesson from the life of Gideon. We've been looking at the life of Gideon over the last uh, several times. This morning I've entitled it, Gideon, a vessel of communication. And uh, it's ironic that we had just a little bit of miscommunication here in the Sunday School class arrangement this morning um, as to who was teaching. But, uh, you know, that's very minor. Appreciated Christy uh, filling in. The word communication is mentioned 14 times. It's, it's form. It's, diff it's, it's word as a, as a word or it's different word forms mentioned 14 different times in the scripture. We think about communication, we think about ways of communication. Uh, there's verbal communication as I'm talking here this morning to you, and as Lynn talked in the Sunday School lesson, and all the other teachers shared verbally, used shared back verbally. Uh, there's non-verbal communication. You can communicate with your eyes, you can communicate with your hands. Uh, there's ways to communicate non-verbally touch, a handshake, a hit. Uh, there is visual communication with your eyes. Uh, I'd like to suggest this morning that Gideon was a master of communication. As I, looked at, as I was looked at his experiences here, he had it pretty well down pat. And uh, I was challenged as I looked at uh, his success in his communication. How well am I at communicating? You know, as I mentioned, there is that opportunity for miscommunication. There is that opportunity for uh, not communicating. But uh, we need to put forth effort to communicate, especially as we think of feeding God's sheep. We need to put forth effort in communicating God's plan, God's purpose. Looking at, uh, we left off the last time, chapter 7, verses 23, where they had experienced the, the, the victory, Gideon, and he had inspired, uh, verse 23 talks about, And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, out of Asher, and out of Manasseh, and pursued after the Midians, after the Midianites. And uh, the, the conflict was uh, successful. However, it was not quite complete. And that's where we want to pick up the story here this morning in, in uh, chapter 7, verse 24. Uh, so the Midianites were on the run finally. Gideon and his 300... Uh, men that were loyal to him were, were, were uh, inspiring some of the other children of Israel to, uh, 
pursue them and to, to drive them out of the land. The children of Israel have been, been uh, 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 molested and, and persecuted by the Midianites in the land. Josh had led them in, and yet they had not been successful in completely driving them out. Chapter 7, verse 24 and Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and take before them the waters under Bethbarah and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters under Bethbarah and Jordan. And then they took two of the princes of the Midianites, Orb and Seb, and they slew Orb upon the rock, and Orb and Seb they slew at the winepress of Seb, and pursued Midian, and brought the heads of Orb and Seb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, chapter 8, verse 1, The men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him, very, with him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abzar? And God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Orb, and Seb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. So we have a successful conquest that took place here in uh, Gideon's experience in leading the people. And he called, he says he sent out messengers uh, to the Ephraim. And they came down and they were also uh, involved in, uh, in pursuing after the Midianites. And, uh, you know, it, uh, I was impressed as I looked at what took place here. It says that as they were successful, as the men of Ephraim uh, were successful in uh, uh, capturing these two princes and, and killing them, Orb and Seb, and then they came to... Uh, Gideon in chapter 8 verse 1 and they had it says they they chided with him sharply uh, we have a brotherhood conflict taking place here uh, now if you remember Gideon what tribe was Gideon from maybe you don't remember I mentioned it way back anybody Go back to chapter 6, but I'll save you from turning back. He was actually from the tribe of Manasseh. Remember he said, I am, I am one of the least of the tribe of Manasseh? And uh, so they were not of the same tribe. But who, were, who was Ephraim and who was Manasseh? They were the sons of Joseph, were they not? The two sons of Joseph that were given. If you look at the, the dividing of the land as Joshua divided out, there, were not, there was not a, a plot designated for, the, the, uh, for Joseph, but there was two plots divided for uh, his two sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. And actually, Manasseh, if you go back to your Bible atlas, uh, you'll notice there's a pretty big portion there designated for the tribe of Manasseh, one on the east side of Jordan, one on the west side of Jordan. And an Ephraim is just this small little uh, parcel down below the, 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 uh, the uh, west side of Jordan, at below Manasseh, I believe. But uh, as, uh, so I don't know if, what exactly inspired this conflict. Uh, seems like Ephraim is not the first time this conflict came up between the children of Ephraim and, and uh, some of the other children of Israel. But we, it, it seems like there was a... Uh, uh, a real, uh, I don't know if there was feelings of inferiority perhaps, I don't know, 
uh, we're not exactly told. But uh, I believe Joshua, pardon me, not Joshua, I believe Gideon here was very tactful in defusing the, the situation. Uh, if you notice what he said, and that's what blessed me as I looked at his ability to communicate with someone who was kind of putting him in a corner. They said, why didn't you tell us about this conflict? They came to Gideon. And uh, why didn't you call for us to fight and help? Uh, didn't they know about the oppression of the Midianites? I don't know. Gideon could have very well retorted back to them and said, well, where have you been? This has been going on for 40-some years, this oppression of the Midianites. It says they chide it with him sharply. But I am impressed and challenged, and it's, it's a desire of my heart to have that same attitude as Gideon did. He said, what have I done now? In comparison of you, is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abizar? Uh, so he looked at them and he said, you know, really what you have done is, is far greater than anything I have ever accomplished. A total abasement of self. A total, uh, you know, just pointing it back to them and saying, you know, you've really been successful in accomplishing what you have accomplished. Uh, I believe Gideon was observant. And as I think of him and his ability to communicate, I think he saw perhaps some non-verbal uh, expressions in their conflict with him. That he realized that these people need more than just simply a retort from me. And uh, maybe perhaps me putting them in their place where they should, you know, where they could have maybe justifiably been put. But he very gently just lifted them up and said, you know, really, you've been successful. You've been used of God, just like I have been used of God. And uh, so that's a talent. I believe that's a blessing. And uh, I think he listened, perhaps. So those are two things I, I like to think about as communication. Uh, masters of communication, we need to be observant. We need to listen. Uh, and it's something I need to, uh, need to uh, practice. It's interesting uh, commentators, the names of these two princes, Orb and Seb, the one means raven and the other means wolf. Uh, if you think back in God's experiences somewhat in the typology, uh, the raven was what Noah sent out of the ark. You know, it's in contrast to the dove that was sent out later. The raven is a contrast to the dove, which is... Uh, uh, the raven would be considered an unclean bird and at home away from the ark. The, the raven never came back. It was very likely out there feasting on the flood uh, dead. The ark as a type of church in the Old Testament where, where God's people found its safety and its security. And again, we see God, we see uh, godly communication successfully overcoming uh, the raven or in this case, Orb, a prince of Midian. And uh, Seb has the idea of a wolf, which, of course, going to the New Testament, you know, we were just talking about that this morning. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And what's the most dangerous predator of a sheep? Isn't it the wolf? And again, there we see the wolf as being conquered by uh, the communication, the successful communication of, uh, of uh, Gideon, sending messengers out to Ephraim, and then actively they pursuing and destroying those, uh, those two forces of evil, the, uh, the, uh, the raven and the wolf. We are described as sheep in the New Testament, as I mentioned, descriptive of you and me as followers of the good shep 
good shepherd. I thought it was somewhat interesting, too, where they, where they caught up with them. If you remember back a number of sermons, you know, what, where, was, where was Gideon when he was uh, starting his initial encounter with the Lord? Well, he was by the wine press, wasn't he? He was threshing, threshing out that wheat. Well, that's actually where the, this conflict ended for these princes. The rock, and the, that's where Gideon offered his, his sacrifice on that very rock. And the other one was slew by the wine press. And very likely the very same uh, wine press that Gideon perhaps was uh, using. I believe the rock and the, the wine press are descriptive of the cross of the Christ, of cross of Christ, and the power of both those forces being broken through that experience. Um, we can have, we just have passed through that Easter season where we see the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and uh, the power that is made available to us as his followers to break that, those two princes of power in our lives personally this morning, the power of the raven and the power of the wolf, uh, seeking to destroy you and I as his followers. Looking at uh, chapter 8, we, we notice, you know, there was, there was unity, there was uh, working together and destroying uh, the uh, Ephraim, uh, the men of Ephraim followed uh, Gideon's instruction to pursue these two kings. But, you know, it was after that success that we find the inner uh, brotherhood conflict that took place. And that's, I think, very sad, very unfortunate. But uh, the communication here was very strained. Two words, I mentioned that idea of chided and sharply. Uh, Strong's carries the idea, if we look at those two, the, origina the original words there in the Hebrew, uh, it has the idea of uh, contentious, uh, quarreling, uh, not a lot of room for discussion. You know, they were very pointed. And uh, Gideon, I think, was very tactful in, in his ability to uh, divert and diffuse the situation. Uh, not a lot of room for communication, not a lot of room for discussion. Very narrow-minded, very focused on themselves. Notice that. They said, why didn't you let us know? They were looking at it from their perspective, rather than trying to see it perhaps from Gideon's perspective. Number of verses from Proverbs, as we think of communication, as we think of inter-brotherhood conflicts. Proverbs 18, verse 19, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. Contentions are like the bars of a castle. Proverbs 16.32 He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. And Proverbs 15, verse 1, familiar to all of us, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting that Gideon exemplified all three of those Proverbs truths in his expression, in his conflict, or in, his, uh, in resolving this conflict with his brethren of Manasseh, or his brethren of Ephraim, rather. He was from Manasseh. Uh, I did want to mention, I, I mentioned in passing, that if you go back to Joshua, chapter 17, verse 14, I mentioned this was not the first time that... Uh, the men of Ephraim seem to have somewhat of a, a chip on their shoulder, if we can call it that. In, chapter, in Joshua 17, verse 14, they actually came to Joshua as he was dividing up the land. And in chapter 17, verse 14, 
And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I am a great people, and forasmuch as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto? And uh, that's talking about the uh, Ephraim, uh, children of Ephraim. They're coming to Joshua and, and, and challenging them, and seemingly in, in comparison to Manasseh receiving two portions of, of land, perhaps. I'm not exactly sure, but it, uh, they simply felt... Uh, by their expression there, they felt like they were not treated fairly. So we come, we read that when the lot, when the land was divided out, then we come here to Judges, how many years later, and it seems like they're still harboring some feelings of resentment, perhaps. Uh, and I don't know for sure how many generations that passed through. I don't know. But, you know, somebody that's not treated, feels like they're not treated fairly, they talk about it, and it keeps on boiling, keeps, you know, after a bit, it bubbles to the top. And... Uh, so I don't know if that's exactly what all was behind that. It could have been something that was simmering under the surface for a long time. Inferiority, self, uh, self-interest are enemies to good communication. I need to remember that. Feelings of inferiority, self-interest will not bode themselves well for good communications among brethren. Quote from George Crane. He says, act the way you'd like to be, and soon you'll be the way you act. Uh, I like that quote as I thought about the men of Ephraim here, perhaps, or the men of, uh, yes, the men of Ephraim. Act the way you'd like to be, and soon you will, you will be the way you act. Actually, and if we turn uh, ahead, now I look back to when Joshua divided up the land. If you turn ahead to chapter in Judges uh, to chapter 12, verses 1 to 6, we see another unfortunate experience involving the, the men of Ephraim again. This in, involved uh, Jephthah, I believe. And uh, you needn't turn to that, but unfortunately that didn't turn out. Jephthah wasn't quite as skilled in communicating and re resolving the conflict as Gideon was. Uh, they had confronted Jephthah uh, about something, and uh, he... There was actually a conflict, an armed conflict there between them, and 42,000 of the Ephraimites uh, were killed in that conflict. And uh, so, very unfortunate. It seems like uh, uh, this thing has been... Uh, we can't put everybody in a box. We are made of the same, same flesh and blood. We need to deal with our, our attitudes uh, as we think of communication. How unfortunate that 42,000 Ephraimites were killed later on in chapter 12 of Judges. You can read it sometime later if you want to. Uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, I think it is where it's mentioned. As a goal for you and I as Christians this morning, I'd like to take you to Philippians chapter 2. And this is talking about our lives in comparison to Christ. Uh, it's, it's, it's something, it's practical. We need to express it. We need to live it. It's exemplified in the life of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. I'm going to just read through this entire, uh, verses 1 through the entire uh, portion of Scripture here slowly. You think about it as you think about your attitudes, as I think about my attitudes. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. 
Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless as sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, if I had offered upon yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Uh, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort. And I want to stop at verse 18. You know, as we look at what all is contained in those 18 verses, no room for carnality, no room for self-expression, total abandonment. And we have it exemplified in the Christ and Jesus, in the life of Christ. And Jesus is saying, he wants us to have that same attitude. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Humble yourselves. Be obedient even unto death. Make yourself of no reputation. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. You know, if we can live that, if I can practice that, that will go a long way to a harmonious brotherhood and communication. There's a legend Peter Pell mentions in his book, Complete Victory. A beautiful legend illustrates the excellency of meekness and humility. Long ago there lived a saint of God who went about his daily life diffusing light as a flower emits perfume without being aware of it. Two words characterized his life. He gave and he forgave. Yet these words never fell from his lips. They were only expressed in his smile in his forbearance and his love. Angels observed him and asked God that the gift of miracles might be given to this man. The desire was granted. So the angels spoke to him and said, What would you desire? He said that God would give me his grace. When pressed still further to choose the particular power that he would have, he replied that I may do a great deal of good without ever knowing it. And that's an aspiration. This is just a legend. But that's an aspiration I believe that we need to have as Christians. You know, our carnal nature wants to be recognized. Our carnal nature wants to be lifted up. You know, that was really probably some of the problems with the men of Ephraim. They wanted recognition. They felt cheated out of the action. But to realize and have that aspiration that I may do a great deal of good without ever knowing it, to me, is, is, is a successful aspiration to achieve in our Christian walk with Christ. 
Going back to our account here in Judges again, Judges chapter 8, I want to look just a little further. Gideon, with his ability to communicate with the men of Ephraim, diffused that situation. And uh, I want to uh, look here further at some of Gideon's experience. That wasn't the end of the conflict there, uh, for Gideon anyway. It says in verse 4, And Gideon came to Jordan, chapter 8, verse 4, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over, and he and the 300 men, his still same, safe, faithful 300 men with him, uh, and uh, they were faint, yet pursuing them. And he said unto the men of Succoth, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint. And I am pursuing after Seba and Samalah, kings of Midian. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Seba and Samalah now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered uh, these kings into their hands, I will tear your flesh with thorns uh, of the wilderness and with the briars. And... Uh, these uh, cities were supposedly brethren. Uh, he came to the second city there in verse 8, Penuel, and spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penuel answered and said unto him, as the men of Succoth had answered him. And he spake unto them, men of Penuel, saying, when I come again in peace, I will break down this tar. Seemingly, these men had no regard for uh, or desire for the conflict that Gideon was involved in. Here was Gideon with his 300 men still pursuing after some of the princes of the Midianites. And uh, he was seeking some, uh, you know, very uh, basic provender for his men. He asked for bread. He didn't ask for a lot of extras. He just simply asked for bread. And uh, verse 10, we see these princes that they were, uh, they were holed up. They were found refuge in uh, Kork Korkor. And their hosts with them, about 15,000 men. So here's Gideon with his 300 men, conflicting, facing the conflict of the Midianites of 15,000 men in verse 10. Uh, and Gideon, verse 11, Gideon went by the way of them that dwelt in the tents on the east of Noba and Jogbeth, and smote the host, for the host was secure. And uh, it's interesting that uh, Gideon continued fleeing, or pursuing the Midianites, and uh, it seems like they, uh, these brethren of these two cities somewhat, uh, well, they refused him basic needs, and it seems like in verse 6, like they somewhat taunted him. They said, okay, uh, do you have the hands of these Midianite princes already? And uh, do you think that you're going to be successful in, in this victory? 300, I don't know if they knew the numbers or not, but I'm imagining they may have seen them pass by, 300 men of Gideon and 15,000 men of the Midianites. And, uh, you know, it seems like they perhaps taunted him a bit in, in his success, in his quest for victory, complete victory. And uh, the name of the town where, I don't know if you noticed that there in verse 11, it says, they thought they were secure, for the host was secure. And the name of that town, uh, Karkor, means secure. And uh, they seemed to think that once they were there, they were going to be secure. But they failed to weigh into the, the, the factor that Gideon uh, was successful. And it wasn't that, it wasn't that Gideon himself was, uh, it was, it was, Gideon originally said, I go in the strength of the Lord. And uh, that's where his success, that's where Gideon realized his success lay. And uh, God used Gideon mightily so that he destroyed these uh, 
these kings that had gotten across Jordan, and uh, God was able to uh, secure the conflict for them. A few other things down through here as we look at verse 18, as Gideon brought these princes to, uh, to task. Uh, verse 18, uh, Then uh, said he unto Sebal and Solomon, what manner of men were they whom you slew at Tabor? And this is referring back, I think, to a, a previous conflict where the Midianites had destroyed uh, some of the, uh, the young men of Manasseh. And uh, they used flattery in, uh, in talking to Gideon. They said in verse 19, uh, verse 18, the later part of verse 18, they answered and said, As thou art, so were they. Each one resembled the child of a king. So uh, here was Lady, here was Gideon who was saying, I'm of the least of the tribe of Manasseh. And here are these two uh, princes of Midian saying, the men that he had slew, uh, slew, these men that he had slew from at Tabor resembled royal family. And uh, he was saying that, uh, that, Gideon, uh, that Gideon was of, of royal family. And uh, so it seemed like they were using flattery perhaps as a, as a method of detracting Gideon from his purpose and mission in destroying them. Uh, but uh, it was not successful. Gideon denied that uh, flattery. There's another interesting thing that takes place here later in the chapter. And uh, when Gideon came back from the conflict then, it says in verse 23... They asked Gideon, they, Gideon said unto them, I will not, they asked him, verse 22, The men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto him, unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Uh, Gideon here refused their uh, request. Uh, but notice in verse 24, And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that, that ye would give me of every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will re willingly give them. And they spread a garment, and did cast their own, every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, besides ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian. And besides the chains that were about their camel's necks. And Gideon made an epoch thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all the Israelites were thither, and all the Israel went thither a warring after it, which things became a snare unto Gideon and unto his house. And that's a sad ending to this story. The fact that here was Gideon so successfully being used of the Lord in freeing them from the oppression of the Midianites. And... Uh, I believe, I have to conclude, this is just my feeling, I have to conclude that I believe Gideon's intentions and motives were pure. Uh, you may question that. You know, I believe Gideon wanted to set up a memorial uh, in honor of God for his victory that he had granted. He, was, he did not want a level of authority, kingship, but he wanted a memorial. I believe that epoch that he made out of the gold was... Uh, I don't know. I just have a feeling that knowing who Gideon was and the way he uh, related to the Lord, I believe, was, I believe his motives were pure in, in making the Zepot. However, it, it was a snare to him and his family later on. And uh, they, uh, you know, Gideon, in spite of who he was and how successful he was, was still just a man. And uh, I guess that's what I want to remind us of and what I want to, want to remind myself of this morning. Regardless of how successful 
of a communicator I am. And communication is an art. Uh, to successfully communicate your thoughts and feelings so that people can understand where you're coming from and where you're going. But you know, unless in our communication that we point people beyond who I am to who God is, how successful a communicator am I, really? Uh, and that's what I want to, and I'm not saying Gideon totally failed in that. I believe his motives were pure in, in having, melting down that gold and making that epoch. But... Uh, you know, it, it's, it, was, it should have been for God's glory. Um, I think that was Gideon's intent, that that epoch would be a memorial for God's glory. However, as history tells us, it, 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 it drew them away from God, and they focused on the object rather than the God of that object. And uh, that's a danger we face in our lives as well, too. In summary, I'd like to uh, just remind you of a number of, uh, reiterate a couple of things as we think of the ability to communicate. Uh, verse 24, we see Gideon allowed others to carry the message. Give others time to talk. Ellis mentioned that illustration this morning. Communication is exactly that. It's, it's two people communicating. That's true communication. It's a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. Communication is co-communication. It, it works both ways. And we need to give opportunity for others to talk in the conversation. Uh, remember, we need to remember to listen and be alert for the non-verbal clues that people are, are portraying in their communication. Remember, two ears, one mouth. We need to do more listening than talking. Thirdly, I think we need to think before we engage our mouth. We need to have, we have the facilities of thought. God gave us that blessing, hopefully. We need to think. Too many times I don't think before I talk. Four, we need to ask questions rather than give accusations. And we saw that illustrated. Uh, you know, how much easier the conflict could have been resolved had... The Ephraimites ask some questions rather than coming and with accusations. Uh, number five, self shouldn't be the prominent focus of my communication. Be willing to lay it down and lift up others. We saw that illustrated in Gideon's expression. Self should be willing to be left out of the picture. Flattery, never. No, there's never any room for flattery. It's a form of dishonesty, I believe. The kings here of the princess, rather, of the Midianites tried to use it on Gideon, and uh, he realized it was dishonesty. Number seven, I believe it's always right to be kind. You know, uh, we're no longer living in the Old Testament. You might say, well, how does that fit into our story here today where Gideon meted out the justice of destroying those two kings? Actually, I didn't read the, in verse 20 there. He asked his, his, his youngest or his oldest son to destroy uh, in verse 20 there, he said, uh, he asked his firstborn, up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword, for he feared, because he was yet a youth. And then uh, notice verse 21, the two princes said, rise thou and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. Again, another form of flattery. They said, uh, okay, Gideon, you're the man to do the job. You're capable. And then Gideon rose to the task and slew it. But... Uh, as I mentioned, I believe it's always right to be kind in our communication. We're living in the day of grace. 
We're not living in the Old Testament as Gideon was. Uh, we don't mete out to justice as God did in the Old Testament. I believe Gideon was, was obedient to God in, in meting out that uh, punishment for those princes of uh, Midian. So may God help us in our communication as we think of the experiences of Gideon. Uh, again, communication is a blessing. Uh, do we use it for the honor and glory of God? Do we, in our communication, do we, are we focusing beyond who I am, but rather on who God is? And uh, we can inspire each other onward in our Christian walk.